Good morning, hello, and welcome to the next in our series of Industrial Leadership Podcast. My name is Mark Yields. I'm the VP of Industrial Automation here at Schneider Electric. And really the purpose of these sessions is to really gain and provide insight into some of our key leaders in the industrial manufacturing sector in the UK. Obviously, to get a view from the expert, talk about hot topics, and really see what's impacting certain aspects and areas of our relative businesses here in the UK and Ireland. So today I'm delighted to welcome Adrian Swindells to the show. Adrian's held many different roles of responsibility across across his career. More recently been involved at DS Smith Packaging, actually a, a supplier into Schneider Electric, but also a career starting at ICI also, which um, which I'm sure he'll talk about a little bit later. But right now, Adrian is an Ops Improvement Director at DS Smith. So we're delighted to welcome Adrian to the show. And in today's discussion, we'll be talking about what the last 20 months has meant to uh, supply chains in manufacturing, how, how that's shaped the future for manufacturing, and, and if anything is going is to change dramatically or, or what Adrian sees from that perspective. And really then trying to dig deeper into what specifics are DS Smith doing more or less of after the experience that we've been gained over the last 20 months. So, Adrian, welcome to the show, first of all. Uh, good morning, Mark. Well, thanks for the kind intro. Yeah, ready to go. <laughs> You're very welcome. You're very welcome. So, f- first question for me leading in is, what has the last 20 months experience taught us in manufacturing and supply chains? Well, well, what a last 20 months. It's unprecedented, really, isn't it? If you think about it, uh, we've had three significant changes, really, that have impacted on the supply chains and manufacturing. Um, so we're all fully aware of the COVID impact. Um, and I think combined with that, there's been this strong agenda on increasing the influence of su- sustainability and the circular economy, a real drive to reduce the carbon footprint. And that's really speeded up with the legislation the government are bringing in over the last couple of years. And then on top of that, we've had Brexit. So here in the UK, we've had significant changes because of Brexit. If I look at the three of those individually, if we start with with COVID, um, like all businesses, uh, when it initially hit us, we all looked at the market predictions and anything, no, there were market predictions range from anything from a no 10% decrease to a 30% decrease. And like most businesses, we all pulled our belts in. Some routes to market did suffer badly. Um, and you know, we went into a mode of protecting cash in the first six months of COVID. Uh, but what, what's happened since then, particularly in our routes to market, is the market has grown. Markets have found different ways to sell the products. So... Obviously, internet sales have grown rapidly. Uh, and for us in DS Smith Packaging, um, where we lost volume more in the industrial routes, actually people buying from supermarkets and things like that more than compensated for that type of volume. Um, so, so after a short period where we saw you no know, volumes drop, we then saw a period of significant growth. So it was a bit of a roller coaster, really, with COVID. In terms of the environmental and sustainability agenda, as we've seen, governments have announced 
tighter and tighter restrictions and key targets going forward. Uh, and that's really meant, as a business, we've had to look at the way we're operating and look at what we need to do uh, to reduce our carbon footprint much quicker than we thought in the first place. So we're having to pull plans forward and we're pulling our targets forward so that the, no, we're in line. And that, that has significant impact on the business. Um, and then we, we've had Brexit on top of that. So Brexit, uh, for various reasons, has restricted supplies, it's restricted labour. Uh, so for us particularly, uh, we, we hit a period of really high growth and then we had restrictions on raw materials and resources but because of the Brexit process. It, it, it's just um, been a real, real period of change, I would say, the last 10, 20 months. Yeah, I think you, you picked on three of the, the hot topics that I was hoping we'd get into this morning. And, um, you know, without question, COVID has meant that we had to think slightly differently, without question. And, and you know, you, you mentioned there, sustainability you've had to kind of think about how can you accelerate that have, have any of your other strategic goals been accelerated during the past 20 months either because of covid or, or or maybe you could talk a little bit more about the sustainability piece and how you've accelerated that as well i'm sorry there's two questions there but um yeah what, what's been the change yeah i think i think the change two two main drivers for the for the change at highlight in the first place obviously we've got the growth so we, we've got growth in uh, our route to market, May, no, partly from COVID changing the marketplace and people more uh, buying through the internet more um, and, that, and people uh, going away from plastic packaging and moving into corrugated packaging. So, so we've had that double whammy of growth. Uh, so we've had to pull strategic plans forward to try and cope with that growth so um what we tend to do as a business as a have a three-year corporate plan with capital investments planned over that three years and what we're doing we're pulling those probably investments in into an 18-month period so things like uh we're, we're opening new greenfield sites in italy and poland we're adding extra machinery to plants um to, to produce more capacity so we've got that that dynamic going on in terms of you know building our capabilities to, to supply the market, but but also on the sustainability side, we we've pulled our plans forward as well. So uh, probably three key areas for the business really we, in terms of the carbon footprint, uh, we've targeted to reduce our carbon footprint by forty percent by twenty thirty. Uh, so that's so that's a significant change, um, and obviously we've we've got to do things differently to achieve that. And we've also said we'll be carbon neutral by twenty fifty. Uh, so so that has has pulled forward all our investment plans in, in that type of energy saving um, area. Uh, and the, and the other area we're, we're looking at is that although our product is very recyclable. We do produce some products with other materials in there for special purposes, uh, no, for protection and uh, water water resistance and that kind of thing, where we have layers of PET on the, on the corrugated packaging, um, and maybe foams, you no, know, to protect delicate materials in the packaging. 
So, so we we've uh, put a target in to have all our mat- everything that we produce and sell fully recyclable by 2025. So we we've you know speeded up a program to innovate and get product replacements in place ready for 2025. So. Yeah, significant changes, real significant changes in terms of the strategic plans and probably for our business, speeded them up by at least 18 months. Yeah, and that's that's the interesting bit here, isn't it? Because like you say, that ordinarily you'd, you'd be working towards a three-year plan, but you can definitely sense, I think, in the marketplace, certainly with the customers that we speak to, that sustainability is high on the agenda. Uh, for a number of reasons, not not just always the obvious ones as well. So, so I, def- I definitely think we're seeing you know capex being pulled forward uh, to accelerate on some of those programs. Of course, everybody seems to want work and projects completing all at the same time, which pr- provides us with other challenges. But yeah. um, maybe maybe we'll come on to those in a bit. Yeah. Um, how I mean, in, in your opinion, how, how well prepared, if you can be, of course. Um, do you think manufacturing was to cope with the challenges of the last 20 months? Or do you think we're in react mode and didn't really anticipate what was coming? You're right, there's three different topics there. But how, how well were we set up, do you think? Yeah, interesting question. I think if you look at our own business, I think like most businesses, when COVID first hit, uh, we, we probably took the pessimistic view and protected the business. And in doing that, we probably... Cut, cut things probably a little bit too much. Um, so so when, when the market grew rapidly, I think we're still recovering you no know, resources and skills in the right places of the business from, from that process. I, I, I still think there's some recovery there. So there's that side of the business. But, but on, on, on the other hand, what, what, what we did have, we did have very strong sales and operational planning processes and they certainly really helped us through through managing through this uh, significant change. Because if you understand your demand and understand your capacity, you can really manage your business in the best way when you get these severe changes. So I think that, that really helped us, I would say, having that strong sales and opera- operational planning process in place. Very interesting. Very interesting. And you touched on a point there, which is... Um... Very interested, I'm sure, probably for our listeners as well, which was just around the people aspect. And 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 I guess if you dig, dig a little bit deeper into that, it will you'll be talking about the skill sets needed through well, I guess prior to COVID Brexit, and now now hopefully certainly post Brexit and somehow tracking towards uh, the next normal. Are you seeing a different demand from your business in terms of the? The skill set that's needed to to operate your business and run your business successfully. Yeah, that's it's interesting. I, I think the the most critical area at the moment in terms of skills and labour is actually a, a HGV drivers. We we have a real right. shortage in the UK. It's got, it's quite an interesting dynamic at the moment. Partly through COVID, partly through Brexit, we we've lost about hundred thousand HGV drivers in the UK. Wow. 70% of the workforce. So, so typically there'd be 600,000 HGV drivers in the UK moving all our materials around. And now we've only got 500,000. So there's a severe lack of drivers in the marketplace. So that, that, that is a real issue. No, not just for our business. It'll be every business in the UK. 
and undoubtedly that's driving costs up in the supply chain. Uh, and what it you know uh, it highlights is that you re- need really strong partnerships in the s- supply chain. So, so that's one critical part of people. Uh, on the other side, uh, what, what what's really interesting is that when when you have situations like this with COVID, where you can have a number of your workforce off, what's really really important is that you've got a multi-skilled, flexible workforce that can do different tasks and do them well. In DSMF, we, we encourage that and that protected us quite well through that process. But what it's highlighted is that we probably need to do more of that going forward. A lot, a lot of our processes now, you can imagine, are quite automated. So you only have one or two operators running a, you know, a manufacturing line. And when, when you have COVID and one, one or two people are off, you can soon see how you can stop lines very quickly. So, so I think uh, the learning around that is we just need to do more of this multi, multi-discipline, flexible working and have people trained to be flexible as possible just to help us in these severe circumstances. Just one more point on the, on the people side is that, yeah, there's no doubt that digi- this digital data and art- uh, artificial intelligence is now growing and we, we definitely see a bigger demand for that kind of skill coming into the business it's early days but we see lots and lots of opportunities of really using the data we generate in the business to you know understand our processes better improve our processes and better plan to be honest so i think there's a specific skill set there that we probably need to bring into business to no, take advantage of all this digital data. I think, mean, yeah, without question. I think there's 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 statements like data is the new oil, and 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 you can see how that could resonate across the whole of the manufacturing sector there for for sure. And uh, I think a number of companies are are still trying to explore what what that could mean to them as individuals. Hey, and um, you know, over the next um, 12, 18 months, you can see uh, very similar to your capex plan actually. You could see how that could accelerate quite fast, and I guess in our world we've seen uh, we've seen a, a significant increase in uh, inquiries on on that topic alone around AI and AR and certainly robotics. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for example, if if we move on um, just a little bit, and I'm fascinated to hear about HGV drivers being a you know a, a real issue there. I mean, just just quite incredible. I guess one one of the other topics to raise here is that. When you talk about technology and the use of technology, uh, I know when, you know, certainly I sit in front of customers, we talk about um, hardware, we talk about software, and and, and probably the, the most important piece of that triangle is the peopleware aspect. Um, you mentioned or sort of alluded to there that you, you know, you're pretty well an automated uh, organization. How are you, how are you going to change your business to make the machine and the operator become as one? in the future have you got any thoughts or considerations around that at this point yeah i mean i mean again this is all around digital data and the way of working you know there's lots of interfaces being tested you know with um visual headsets and that kind of thing where where the machine communicates with the operators and the operators are guided to to know to do the right thing at the machine the machines at the right time 
it, as I say, it's a fast developing area with lots of opportunities and lots of our you know, specific machine suppliers are, are developing technology in this area as well because so it started more on a maintenance side. So, you know, helping people to repair the machine, but actually you, you can move it into the operating side as well because you no, know, knowing what, what adjustments to make at the right time so that the machine gets through a critical failure point is, is really important. Uh, and I say the power of data is amazing, really. Just to give an example, you know, we, we did a study on a particular one of our machines where you know, every so often it would have a paper break. So a paper, paper break in our world means you, you, you lose about 200 metres of um, production and you probably lose 10 or 15 minutes re-threading the paper and starting the machine up again. Uh, and what, what we found by analysing all the data inputs we had from the machine in detail and uh, put, putting it through a model, we could actually predict 90% accurate when the next paper break would be. Now, now, it didn't give us the root cause, but what, what it would do is warn the operator that in the next two minutes, there's a 90% chance there could be a paper break. So, so what we could do then is actually slow the machine down slightly through that period to reduce the chance of a paper break, which obviously reduces that waste and reduces the time threading up and everything else. And once you're through that, risk period you can put the speed of the machine back up again so 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 this this data and the interface with operators can, can be really powerful in the future yeah fascinating fascinating and just a simple i'm sure it wasn't simple by the way but just a simple example there of of what what a difference the data aspect could mean in the future and um you know i, I guess the next step on from that is not only to make it um uh, give you the information to make the decision, but also maybe then in the future allow the machine to make the decision based on um, some predictive analytics. Yeah. So um, you, you can see a point for that in the future as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah, obviously the step after that is knowing the root cause. Why Why is the 90% chance of it happening? Yeah. Uh, and solving that root cause. So, yeah, it's very powerful, very powerful. So, um, yeah, p the power of data is unquestionably the next step we, we, we see as also. And I think, you know, the, there's, there's been a, you know, the sustainability piece alongside how do I operationally affect what I'm doing as well are, are so intertwined as well. So, so thank you for the insight on that. I, I guess I want to move on to now kind of the future a little bit and, you know, just talk about how, how well prepared do you think the manufacturing sector is to cope um, with the next period? So, i.e., twelve to maybe forty-eight months. What 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 is what's your thoughts and comments on that? Yeah, quite quite interesting that because I think the sustainability agenda is really ramping up, and there's a real drive in uh, not only manufacturing but in governments to move away from the linear economy we've all been operating with for the last 120 years to a more circular economy. So, so if you think about it, most businesses today operate on the basis that we extract raw materials from the ground, we turn them into products, 
And in this kind of throwaway society, it's not long before those products are in landfill. No, there's no doubt all these resources in the earth are running out. And if we don't do something different, um, we're going to have significant problems in the next 10, 20, 30 years. You know, it, no, you, you can see it already in terms of shortages in key key materials. And I'm sure you see it in your business as well, Mark, where some of the raw materials are just getting more and more difficult to get hold of because the, the supply is not there. So, so I, I think that agenda is really going to ramp up and, and I think it's going to be a real change for most businesses because you've got to look at your business model and start moving away from, yeah, we, we make a product and we try and sell as many of them as we can to, right, we make a product and how much value, how can we extract more value from this product by having it in the marketplace longer or having the lifetime longer? No, we've got to move to that kind of model. So I, I think there's real significant change coming. So, yeah, I think the focus on that and the focus on reducing the carbon footprint is, is really going to ramp up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, if you think about it, the, the um, if you look back at... You know, it's quite interesting. You look back at you know the, the, the light bulbs. I'm sure you know about light bulbs and the Phobos cartel in the 1930s. Yep. So, so <laughs> even then, they could design light bulbs to last 2,000 hours, but they all decided, to be fair to everyone, they'd only make them to last 1,000 hours. So that, that model of planned obsolescence, driving more and more sales, was developed then and has obviously gone into lots and lots of products and lots of lots of industries and and we've really got to change that in the next 10 to 15 years so it's yeah it's really no the agenda on that's really ramping up Uh, yeah and it's a it's a very interesting point this and I think any any manufacturer certainly in automation space and um you know energy and automation like Schneider Electric is we're thinking about exactly those topics and also you know how do we make them more sustainable how do we how do we how do we manufacture so they do fit into the circular economy completely? And on top of all that, how do we make them data rich so that people can make true decisions yeah, on yeah. the back of some some uh, some intelligence from a particular device or a system, uh, for example? But no, fascinating insight into the next 12, 12, 12, 12 to 48 months there. Thank, thank you for that. Um, what what changes do you think? What, what changes do you think are, need, are going to need to take place in uh, organisations to to adapt to the kind of new way of working, is there anything that stands out for you? Uh, as I say, I think in the current current climate, the the actual sales and operational planning processes need to be much more detailed. I would say, I, I think because because there are constraints on raw material supply chains and there's capacity limits. You've really got to understand the detail of what you're actually selling and what your actual capacity has. Just, just to give an example in our business, but no, in the past, the sales would would, would sell types of products, but would not, not necessarily go down to the detail of how each product was made up with individual papers. But because supply chains are so tight, we, we, we're, we're now going to that level of detail so we know which sales are best to bring into the business because we you know we can get the raw materials and access them in the be- in the best way and then on the capacity side you know 
again, we would normally just look at reliable capacity. So look at what, what we've got on the ground and operating at 90%, what's our capacity? But, but in, in this new world where, no, we're, we're capacity constrained, we're having to build our models slightly differently and incorporate a lot more what-ifs into the capacity plans. So what if we put extra shifts on? What if we added overtime? Uh, what if we ran that machine in the corner that's, that's not been running for four, four years? That All that kind of thing. So we've had to make the the model a bit more sophisticated to be able to make the right decisions at a central level to drive the business forward, if you understand what I mean. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, fascinating. Fascinating. And and uh, maybe if we one one final question from me because you've you, you've mentioned uh, this, this this a number of times here is is the topic on I guess the commodity piece. So you've said that you know you're starting to plan and orchestrate your business based around what what you what's basically available in the market and what you can sell and how you can sell that product uh, in in the market. Have you made any any adjustments to your operating models or the way that you structure your business to bring sales and operations even closer together? Yeah, I think I think the major change is that probably typically three or four years ago we'd we'd operate more as single operating units. So each you no know, large manufacturing site would operate a bit a little bit more independently, and they do do their own sales and operational planning process locally. But what we've we've really found is that moving that process to at least clusters, so five or six sites, um, and optimize, optimizing the sales and operational planning process at that level has really driven us up some opportunities and allowed us to fill available capacity uh, that we probably wouldn't have done in the past. The other thing as well that's happened is that we've gone cross-regional uh, a lot more. So, so we're we're shipping, uh, you know, in and out of the UK from Europe. We're shipping cross borders all across Europe, uh, and we're probably doing that more for specific specialisms. No, so where we've only got uh, one speciality site in each of the regions doing a certain type of product, we've actually set up uh, links between those businesses and we we've, we're doing a lot more of, the, of that kind of thing again to optimize and supply the customers in the best way by utilizing the you know our capacity across across regions so, so I'd say that they were the major two changes over the you know, last last few years that have driven driven some benefits fantastic and and um, thanks Adrian I mean the last uh... The last 25 minutes there have been very insightful. They've given us a, a good good taste of what the manufacturing world is doing, certainly in, in the UK, to uh, to adjust, not just to the, the last 20 months, so, but also leading up to the next 12 to 48 months to give us a, a view there and how that might shape the future for manufacturing and supply chains. Um, so I, I just want to take this opportunity to... Thank you, Adrian, for joining us on the show. Much appreciated and um, really enjoyed the interaction there and the insight into your business and some thoughts there around what the future might look like for us in the manufacturing sector here in the UK. So thank you for that. Thank you for our listeners for joining us. Um, We look forward to sharing with you some more insight in the future on our next podcast. But for now, 
Thank you and goodbye.